know, I promise I'm not avoiding any of you, but there is sickness in my home. So I was trying to protect you all because I love you. So uh, after I get done here, I'll be leaving so as not to share too many things with you. But if you would, especially keep Dylan in prayer, his, it causes his blood sugars to get real goopy. And so we've had kind of a crazy night at our house. But I'm, I'm okay as of right now, but I may be a carrier. So unclean, unclean. This barrier, don't, I haven't touched anything except my iPad, so there we go. <laughs> we'll disinfect my mic after we get done. Uh, let me start out by telling you a little bit about a gentleman. His name is Dr. Clint Archer, and he is the senior pastor of Hillcrest Baptist Church in Durban, South Africa. And I, I read some of his blog stuff from time to time, and he wrote something interesting a while back, and I wanted to, to share it with you as we look at our foundations this year, and he says this, he says, in good churches, there tends to be a lot of preaching. Sometimes it even feels a tad overwhelming. Sermons come at you rapid fire from all directions, like a paintball ambush on Sunday morning and evening and small groups through the week and maybe a Saturday men's meeting with, and now with the uh, invention of, of the internet and the, there's just a barrage of world-class preaching just a screen touch away. It can be a bit like drinking from a fire hose, and that's, if you know me, that's one of my favorite sayings when, when I get overwhelmed about something. And he says, that's what church can be like sometimes. How, how much of this biblical truth is really going in if we're trying to absorb it all at once? And, and sometimes we start thinking, am I actually expected to be aware of all these symptoms of hypocrisy that Luke chapter 11 talks about and the, the six steps of being a good steward of my money and and am I supposed to remember all this stuff? What about the things that are going to be shared next week and the week after that? Is a photographic memory a requirement for being a faithful Christian these days? We're not the first generation to flounder in the information overflow. You see, in the 18th century, at the height of the Great Awakening in New England, it was not uncommon for the Puritan churchgoers to go to church and listen to 8 to 12 hours of sermons a week. <laughs> Some of you are already looking at your watches, and I just got started. Some people felt this was counterproductive, leaving overwhelmed listeners unable to apply anything that they were hearing, never mind all of it. But a brilliant retort came from famed preacher Jonathan Edwards in his response to the criticism that congregations can't possibly remember everything they hear preached. He replied this, The main benefit that is obtained by preaching is by impression made upon the mind at the time of it, and not by the effect that arises afterwards by a remembrance of what was delivered, not the effect of the memory. In other words, the Holy Spirit does a work of change on people during the preaching. And then later during the week, there are short sound bites and, and fleeting nano moments of epiphany, if you will, that act as tiny chisels that kind of tap away at our souls while shaping us. He goes on to write, he says, I'm a fan of note-taking, but the true help of taking notes is not only that it will assist in recalling information later or that it locks in print a reference for a later consultation, but primarily it focuses your attention on the preaching at the time of it. It's in the wow moments, the amen responses of your soul in the sermon, and it leaves kind of an imprint that's more lasting than the alliterated sermon outline your pastor slaved over all week. He finishes out his blog by saying a lesson to, pa to preachers. Don't work as hard on the clever outline as you do on the accuracy of the truth of God's Word. 
Your sermon is there to pull a pin or to pull the pin on God's grenade. I think that's awesome. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit does the explosive work on our hearts. And I share all that with you this morning because several things are going to happen today as we look a little bit deeper into Philippians chapter 1. First off, I'm going to share with you the truth of God's word. Some of it I will share with you is, is going to be like drinking from a fire hose. You're going to be like, whoa, that was a lot, and, and that was deep, and I didn't see that coming. Uh, second, that's okay. Prepare now. Take some notes. Let it sink in this week. Go back and read the scriptures that we looked at this morning. Allow the Holy Spirit to help you absorb this message throughout your week. And third, I'm about to pull the pin on God's grenade. Now, here's the thing. Some of you will duck and run for cover. Some of you will just sit there and take it. And you'll leave slightly missed because somewhere in all of this, I went from preaching to meddling. But some of you are going to sit there and listen and absorb as much of this as you can because you are here this morning knowing full well that you are expected to leave differently than how you came, spiritually speaking. It's up to you what your foundation is built on. And this year I plan to give you the materials that you need. But you have to decide if you're happy with your house built on sand or if you're willing to put in the hard work to remove some things in your life, to dig down into the bedrock of Jesus Christ and start rebuilding on that. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we could be here. I thank you that we could worship, that we can hear your word. And Lord, I ask that you would begin to work in our hearts, that we will not just hear your word, but we'll seek out ways to make those changes in our lives so that we can secure our foundation on your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Paul writes to the church of Philippi the following letter. It's in Philippians chapter 1 in your Bible. We're going to start out with verse 1. Remember last week I preached on verses 1 and 2, and this week I'm going to pick up in verse 3. But we're going to read the whole thing in context together, and then we're going to break it down. Paul writes to the church. He says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace, and pe grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, righteousness which comes through jesus christ to the glory and praise of god now we're going to look at each of these verses this morning and highlight a few things that i have labeled the building blocks for of a mature believer and, and i'm going to start off with verse three paul says this he says i thank my god in all my remembrance of you paul is thankful for the christians at the church in philippi and now let me ask you this question when was the last time you were 
honestly thankful for all the people in this room. When was the last time you sat down and said, Lord, thank you for all the Christians at Huntsville Christian Church? When was the last time you remembered to even pray for the folks in this room without getting a call or an email or something that said someone was sick or someone's in the hospital? See, it's one of the reasons that we, we started up our CPR group. It's one of the reasons we have our Fusion Youth Group on Sunday evenings, our men's and women's uh, Bible studies on Sunday nights, because they offer a time to, to come together outside of right now and remember one another. One of the reasons we offer opportunities to serve together on different ministry teams is because serving together offers opportunity to connect. And connecting means that we will remember one another. How about praying together? One of the reasons that our response time, I always include an invitation to pray with the elders or to share a prayer concern with the congregation is we want to remember you during the week. We want to encourage one another as we go through life. Speaking of praying together, look at how Paul prays for the Philippian church. Verse 4, he says, Always offering prayer, say this with me, with joy in my every prayer for you all. You all. Y'all. The, the southern, southern, in southern Philippi, they said y'all. <laughs> Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. That's rough, loosely translated, you all means all of you. The whole body. Everybody that's in the church. Not just offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for the, the elders or for the people I like. For everybody. Now, Paul probably doesn't know every single person in the church in Philippi. Does that mean he can't, he's lying? He can't be offering prayer with joy for all of them? No. You can still cover people in prayer even if you don't know them. That's a, the common thing we say. Well, well, I don't know Andy well enough to pray for him. Sure you do. You know his name? Pray for him. Dear Lord, be with Andy. Actually, be with Lindsay because she has to put up with Andy. But that, that's a different sermon. <laughs> I've got a little New Year's, a late New Year's resolution for all of us. Okay? And this is a challenge, but I'm going to call it a New Year's resolution. Don't just remember one another in prayer. But I, want, I want our resolution to be here at Huntsville Christian Church that we will remember to pray in joy for the people in this church. Now, don't do Southern proper joy. Dear Lord, bless their little hearts. You know who I'm talking about, Jesus. Don't do that. But let's sincerely begin an effort every day, offering every prayer with joy for one another. Pray for each other. Paul transitions from prayer into partnership and a mutual fellowship, and he goes into confidence in what Christ is doing in their lives. In verses 5 through 7, look at this. He says, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing. I love this verse, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. And again, he's not writing specifically to the leaders or the elders of that church. He's not saying I have, I have you, select group of men in my heart. He, I have this whole church is in my heart. He says, since both my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, 
you all are partakers of grace with me. Paul is sure of a few things. He's sure of these things that he just wrote because their foundation is being well built. And also, the, the more time, uh, we can be sure of that same thing because the more time we spend with one another outside of this room, the more we will remember one another. The more we'll be connected in different ways. If you're looking for a way to connect here at Huntsville Christian Church, we're having a fellowship ministry team meeting today following our service. I want to encourage you to go check it out. See how you can get involved. See how you can connect to the people you're worshiping with every Sunday. There, there will be opportunities through that ministry to serve together in different ways throughout the year. I want to encourage all of you to check that out. Because as we grow closer together through opportunities of fellowship and serving together both in the building and in the community, we'll get to know one another better. The best way to get to know somebody is to build something with them. best way to get to know somebody is to do a community project with them, to get involved in their life. You, you get to talking about what's going on while you're building a deck or washing windows or helping somebody out. We get to know one another better, and our accountability and our transparency with one another will grow out of our confidence in what Christ is going to do through us. You see, Paul is confident of what God is going to do within the church at Philippi. He, he prays for them, and his prayer is that their love comes about in real knowledge and in all discernment so that they may approve the things that are excellent in order that they will love one another with the same affection that Paul has for them. Look at verses 8 and 9. He goes on, he says, For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. How do you get to really know somebody? Spend time with them. I love to see you guys on Monday, but I really love to see you later on in the week where we can sit down and have a cup of coffee. I love to see the folks in my CPR group on Monday nights we talk about where things are at in life and how we can pray for one another, how we can encourage one another, and begin to get connected. You want to learn, you want real knowledge about the people that you're worshiping with. Serve with them. Pray for them. Love them in the same way that Paul loved the church of Philippi. Now here comes the fire hose part. This is the part I wrestled with for most of the week, and it's verses 10 and 11. Paul sets them up with these foundational building blocks of prayer and love and fellowship, serving. And he says, do these things so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I'm going to do this in reverse order. I'm going to talk about sincere and blameless in a second, so we're going to put a pin in that because that's something I think we need to visit for a second. But I want to pause for a minute on this fruit of righteousness, on being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I, I read in one commentary, and, and all it said about that statement, where it said, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ, all it said was like one sentence, the fruit of righteousness is the same as the fruit of the Spirit. And I thought, well, that didn't quite, didn't quite measure out for me. It didn't sound quite right. So I set out on, on a task uh, 
to harmonize this concept of the fruit of righteousness found in Christ with the fruit of the Spirit. And, and here's what I came up with. In, in the pulpit commentary that I have, verse 11 talks about being filled with the fruit of righteousness. And the author says, Here Paul prays that their love may abound, not only in knowledge and discernment, but also in the fruit of holy living. All right, now, stay with me, because I'm going to start using some churchy words. All right, and some of you, like me, don't like churchy words, but to get this explanation out, stay with me. So the first churchy word goes like this. The fruit of righteousness, holy living, we'll get to holy living in a second, but at, at its core, at its base, the fruit of righteousness is sanctification. Sanctification is a churchy word. Who knows what sanctification means? Raise your hand, go. All right, two people, good. Um, sanctification means we're set apart, Okay. We are set apart by God. We are declared, not just set apart, but we are declared holy by God as Christians. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, if you're a spiritual infant, just newly baptized, you are sanctified. You are declared holy by God. Or maybe you're uh, uh, new in the word and faith, or you're spiritually, maybe you're a mature parent now. You are sanctified. This sanctification is not because of anything you or I have or will do on our own. We have to understand that. You are not sanctified because, bless your heart, you're just that special. All right? It doesn't work that way. It comes, and here's another churchy word. We have sanctification, which means you're set apart, and that comes from justification. Justification means that we are declared righteous in God's eyes. Again, not because of how awesome you are as an individual or how awesome I think I am as an individual. We are declared, we are, we are justified, we are declared righteous in God's eyes because of what Christ has done for us. By defeating sin when he died on the cross as a final sacrifice, and he rose again three days later, his hope and his glory now manifests itself in our holy living. And that's the third churchy word, holy living. Ooh. That, that one almost scares people because it sounds complicated. When, when people say things like holy living, you, you're probably, if you're like me, one of your first things you think about is like a, a monastery somewhere and like the brown robe and like the arms and the sleeves and just... Because about the only way I think I could honestly live a life of true holy living on my own would be if you locked me up somewhere where I couldn't talk to anybody, I couldn't watch TV, I couldn't be on the internet, I couldn't use a phone. Because in, in any one of those, I'm sure I would be offensive to somebody in some way. <laughs> and there would go my holy living. So I would need the vow of silence <laughs> and, and just walk around and not be allowed to talk and just nod. But I'm sure, because I'm me, at some point my nod would be offensive to somebody. It's what we do. <laughs> Holy living is hard. Holy living. It's a churchy word. It sounds more complicated and scary than it really is. But it, it's the attempt. It's that striving to be a good reflection of Christ. Listen to this. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul has another term for holy living. It's being filled with the fruit, or being filled with the fruit of righteousness. And it's in Galatians 5, verse 16 through 26. Look at this. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. Now, I'm not going to ask for you to raise your hand or a confession or an admission to any of these. 
So think about these and where you are in your life. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. You see, because of what Christ has done for us and the change that he has brought within us, we have the ability not only to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, but to show evidence of this righteousness because we abide in him. Abide is another churchy word. I'm going to get into that in a second. The evidence in the fruit of the Spirit being reflected and lived out in our lives when we abide in Christ. I've got some harsh news for you all. If the fruit of the Spirit is not evident in your life, it's because your Christian foundation has been covered over with other building blocks. If the fruit of the Spirit is not evident in your life, you have removed yourself from the vine. You have taken the necessary steps to separate yourself from the life-giving source of Jesus Christ. We only get the fruit of righteousness when we stay connected to the vine. Some of you have allowed yourselves to become stagnant in your spiritual walk. You may have been a spiritually mature person who just got comfortable, and now you've allowed yourself to slip backwards into a place of spiritual young adult or teenager or even spiritual infant. You see, our spiritual foundation needs to be rebuilt sometimes. Because we do. We get comfortable. It's our way. We need to tear things down and we need to rebuild. We need to remain connected to Jesus Christ. Stay connected to Him through struggles. Stay connected to Him through hard times. Stay connected to Him through heartache. Stay connected with Him through tough medical decisions or diagnoses. Stay connected to Him even in the times in our lives when we blatantly sin. We need to repent. We need to work on moving away from whatever separates us from the vine. We cannot have the fruit of righteousness in our lives. We will not show evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives if we're cut off from the vine. Look at what John chapter 15, verses 1 through 6 talks about. Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. It, let me pause right there just to make it clear. If you walk up to a, to a grapevine and you, you clip some of the vines off, or the, some of the branches off the grapevine, that have little clusters of green grapes on them that aren't yet ripe, they're not going to continue to ripen. They're going to die. That's how they make raisins. Not really. But you cut that and you set it aside. It can't get nourishment. It cannot do what it's supposed to do when you take it off the vine. 
Same thing with your tomatoes. Your tomatoes sprout up, they're green. Some were in the south. Who doesn't like a good fried green tomato? But my granny always says you can only eat so many of those you get a stomach ache. So you've got to leave them there. You take a tomato off the vine, it doesn't continue. Well, it does to a point, but not, not the way that it was designed to ripen. So we have to be careful with that. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch. Um, oh, did I jump ahead? I did, I'm sorry. I'm the vine. <laughs> that was my bad. I, I glanced at the wrong. All right, here we go. He says in verse 5, there we go, catch up. I got it. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. The branch lives by the life that's given from the vine. The Christian lives by the life of Christ. It, it's his life living in, assimilated by the Christian soul, if you will. Another way to say that is Christ should be absorbed and integrated into our life as individuals. And when that happens, he will be absorbed and integrated into our life as a congregation. When that happens in the congregation, he'll be absorbed and integrated into our community. Because everywhere we go, we will be connected to the vine. And that, that kind of foundational relationship with Christ is what brings out the fruit of righteousness. And the evidence of that is the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. All of this is to the glory and praise of God. The righteousness of God's saints springing from the abiding presence of Christ reflects the glory of God. And the glory of God is His majesty in itself. So what does that look like in your life? Folks, praise is the acknowledgement of God's majesty. By the voice and heart of man, the glory of God is the end of all Christian effort. One more thing, and I told you I'd come back to this. There, there's a connection here in verse 11 between, uh, in verse 10 and 11. The connection is the word may in verse 10 and having been filled in verse 11. And for this reason, the participle is best understood as a passive idea, having been filled by Christ. So in other words, when we abide in him, when we build our foundation on Christ, when we seek our spiritual nourishment from him, we will be filled by him with the fruit of righteousness to the glory and praise of God. And for the church at Philippi, the, the fruit of righteousness was that Jesus Christ produced in them as a result of their willingness to abide in him and in his will for their life. They were willing to abide in Christ. And it parallels the fruit of the Spirit that Paul writes about in Galatians 5.22. It's not one or the other. It's both and. They come together. Paul's overall prayer was for them to live in such a way that Christ could do work in them. The harvest of morality and righteousness which would be acceptable the day of Christ's return. He's letting the, the church in Philippi know that righteous living will protect the church. Righteous living will protect the church. It will be blameless. He wanted to make sure that, that they knew that this blamelessness would be because of Christ and his righteousness and not their own. This passage teaches that if those who are righteous by God's grace through faith live as they should, the fruit of their lives will be true blamelessness. No one will condemn them, and they will stand the test of judgment day. One last point of clarification there. It says no one will condemn them. 
But as we read through the New Testament, as we read through history of the church even, as we look at our world today, it seems like there's always going to be someone that condemns the Christian faith. There's always going to be someone who condemns what you believe and why you believe it. Maybe even you for believing it. There's always someone who's going to condemn. But here's the thing. If we are sincere in our faith, if we are earnestly staying attached to the vine, any condemnation that we face will not come from anyone that matters. But it takes work. And, and it's how we reflect this fruit of righteousness. It's how we reflect the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. You see, Paul's encouragement to the church in Philippi is to build your foundation on Jesus Christ. And when you build your foundation on Jesus Christ, then any condemnation that you face will not come from anyone that matters. This is one more occasion in Paul's life where he is calling other Christians to follow him as he follows Christ. That's what I love about the letters that he wrote. The Philippians were participants. And he, he talks about this at the beginning of the letter. He, 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 he makes reference that they were, they were participants in proclaiming the good news. Through their words, through their deeds, they had obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they were able to do that by abiding in Christ. They were able to do that by staying connected to the vine. If we join them in that effort, when Christ returns, we will be found clothed in his righteousness because of Christ. We will be found blameless before the Lord. And in that, we find the foundation of hope and glory and the building blocks of spiritual maturity and the righteousness of our God. Not because of us. Our two last verses I want to share with you is Romans 1, 16 and 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of the God." Actually, say this with me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, that the righteous man shall live by faith. Brothers and sisters, if you're not ashamed of the gospel, if you mean what you just said, then it's time for us to really begin putting these building blocks of spiritual maturity into practice. If you're not ashamed of the gospel, it's time to really start sharing the gospel message with others. One of the questions that should be asked every time that you're, you're if you're in a CPR group, one of the questions will be asked every week is, at the end, before everybody leaves, is, who will you teach this story to this week? We break down a story from the Bible, and then the final question, one of the final questions that should be asked, who will you teach the story to this week? If you're not ashamed of the gospel, it's time to start teaching these stories to other people. If you're not ashamed of the gospel, it's time to start sharing it. It's time to start praying about who you're going to share the gospel with. As we come to our response time this morning, I want to challenge all of you. If you're not ashamed of the gospel, decide today how you'll begin to share it with others. If you need prayer for that decision because of unknown direction or, or you're not just you're sure, just not sure how to make that happen, how to start that process, the elders are here. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you about what this can look like in your life. If maybe for you, in order to do that, the first step is, hey, I need to get baptized myself. 
And I need to learn a little bit more about this story. I need to learn a little bit more about this gospel, this good news that you're talking about. The Baptistry is ready. It would be a great way, to, great way to start your week, and we'd love to plug you in with some people that can continue to walk in accountability with you. But whatever your response is this morning, will you stand and sing with us and respond to God's word accordingly?